Bokar Tov. Happy 2021. This is the first year of the new year, so we actually have a big announcement that starting Thursday night this week, there will be a new shiur on the Navi. Thursday night in Shara Rachamim, a time to be decided, but there's a new shiur that's beginning. It's going to be also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's going to be called the Navi Podcast. I will be giving it alongside Moshe and Yatian on Thursday nights. So everyone is welcome to join and follow along. And it'll be a, we'll be using the same methodology that we use in the Parasha podcast for the study of the Nevi'im. And uh, it'll be good because as we gain a deeper and uh, knowledge and appreciation for the Torah, we can simultaneously get that same understanding of the Navi. And we will obviously get uh, a better understanding of the whole. The Navi often relates back to the Torah very commonly. So it'll be a, a cool experience, but everybody's welcome to join. Also, um, I, I was on Shabbat, Johnny Cordovani stopped me, and he said he has a very nice chidush, and I was thinking about it, and I thought it was absolutely the peshat. So he said, you were discussing last week that Yaakov, when he's telling Yosef to bury him in Israel, in the middle he stops and he says, by the way, I uh, buried your mother in Bethlehem. Um, I'll even find the pasuk. He says, Padan." When I came from Padan, Meta Alai Rachel. Rachel died in the land. Whenever I still had uh, a, a way to go to come to Ephrat, and I buried her there in the way to Ephrat, which is in Bethlehem. So Johnny was saying. What is the, the Peshat here? And he, he told me that uh, the reason he's talking about Rachel over here is because he's telling Yosef to bury him in Israel. But he's telling Yosef to bury him in Me'arat HaMachpelah. And then Yosef turns to him and he says, If you want me to bury you in Me'arat HaMachpelah, then why didn't you bury my mother in Me'arat HaMachpelah? So then he asked to explain to him the reason Rachel is not buried in Me'arat HaMachpelah. Right, and I think that's also, if I'm not mistaken, that's brought down by Rashi. And now, now I, the reason I came to the conclusion that I think that it's the Peshat is because if you look at the end of the Berachot, which is what we're going to be studying today, if you look at the end of the Berachot, Yaakov tells his sons, "Please bury me in Marata uh, Machpelah," and then he also says there. That is where Abraham and Sarah are buried. That is where Yitzchak and Rivka is buried. And that is also where I buried Leah. So if he's telling his other sons that please bury me in Marata Machpelah because that is where I buried Leah, it seems like he wanted to do the same thing with Yosef to say, please bury me in Marata Machpelah because quote unquote that is why I buried Rachel. But he couldn't say that. So he had to explain why Rachel was buried separately and that that is really peshat of, of that whole situation i uh, thank johnny for opening my eyes to that idea okay we, we we're going to we have to finish the parasha so we're not going to go through the berachot the berachot just to summarize what the berachot are the berachot are yaakov's uh what he's telling his sons on his deathbed and they're they're called berachot but they're not berachot in the traditional sense these are more, uh, if you look at the first pasuk, he says, gather here and I will tell you what will happen to you in the end of days. These brachot are more historical predictions 
more than anything. They seem to show what each tribe will amount to and what's going to be the future and destiny of each tribe. Uh, for example, Reuven gets a very harsh beracha, uh, quote-unquote beracha, because Reuven, we know, was impetuous and impatient, and he often fell. He had his main failing was with regards to the, the bed of his father or the, the concubine of his father, Bilha. Shimon and Levi also get a quasi, uh, almost like a curse or a bad prediction of what is going to happen to them at the end of days. Uh, Shimon, we know from the future that Shimon kind of gets swallowed up into the tribe of, of Yehuda and doesn't really have a portion of land in the land of Israel. And Levi, they kind of have also a negative prediction, but they turn it into a positive. Their prediction for them is that they're not going to have land, but it ends up being a good thing because they get split up over throughout all of Israel and they have the Levite cities. And the good thing about the Levites being spread around all over Israel was now they have centers for Torah study all over the land of Israel. So that actually became a benefit, kind of a, a sign we spoke about on Shabbat, a sign that one is able to turn even negative blessings, negative uh, predictions into positive blessings. And that is what Levi does. Yehuda is, a, uh, is given a very good blessing and we have the famous pasuk lo yasur shevet mihuda umchokek mi ben raglav ad ki avoshilo veloi kihatamim. Pasuk says the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, as long as men come to Shilo, and unto him shall be the obedience of the people. That is, it's very hard to know exactly what that pasuk means because nobody knows what the what the part ad ki avoshilo really is referring to, but. Yehuda's blessing is that they will have the position of leadership in Am Israel, which we do see. And then they're also blessed uh, a little bit with, with wealth, uh, which apparently they had in their, in their portion of land in Israel. Um, the, some of the tribes had one line blessings that we're not going to go through. Uh, many of them are tied to their ability to strengthen war or to their wealth that they will have. Um, like Asher Shemena Lachmo, he will have his his bread will be fat, and he will have he will be able to give the goodies of the king. So so that's a blessing of wealth for Asher. Uh, Naphtali will be fast, so that is a another blessing of Naphtali. They were probably good people uh, in in war. Yosef, there's a famous pasuk by Yosef. It says Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Aleain. The translation here says Joseph is a fruitful vine, a fruitful vine by a fountain. It bran its branches run over the wall. So this is actually a new perush for me, a new translation for me. But I think now that I, the more I think of it, the more I think it is the peshat. I'll, I'll break down the pasuk a little bit. It says Ben Porat Yosef, Ben Porat Aleain. It's a very difficult pasuk to translate because. We don't know what porat means. Um, and the word ben here doesn't really make any sense. It translates as son porat Yosef, son porat on a, on a stream or on a spring. Banot tsaada adeshur, girls were walking on a wall. So very, very hard to understand what this pasuk is referring to. But the translation that I've read this year that I think is also, I think, makes a lot of sense is ben although it's typically translated as a son, could also mean a branch. And porat comes from the word fruitful, like peru urvu. 
So it's Ben Porat Yosef. Ben is a branch that is fruitful. Yosef is a branch that is fruitful. Ben Porat Aleayin. It's a branch that is fruitful that is on a stream. And we see a similar idea uh, uh, to this in the first parak of Tehillim when a tree is described as being on a, on a, uh, a fountain. Any, any tree or any uh, greenery that is on or next to the water will, will remain and will grow well. So that is a barakah here to Yosef, that there will be a branch, a fruitful branch that is on a spring. And then the end of the Pasuk says, Banot Sa'ada Aleshur, that the, the branches will go over the wall, meaning the branches will be so long that any wall that is next to the tree, the branches will, will go over that wall. So that is an interesting Pasuk. Um, let's see. Then the last son is Binyamin. Binyamin is also described as having military strength. He will be able to, the translation here is, Binyamin is a wolf that raveneth. In the morning, he devoureth his prey. So that's also a bracha of military strength. So now, the end of the parasha, we see a couple of things happen. We see Yaakov commanding the rest of his sons to bury him in Merat HaMachbelah. Then we see the actual burial of Yaakov in Israel. And then the brothers turn out to be very afraid of Yosef. And they approach Yosef. And they approach him with humility and almost kind of like beg for their life, in which Yosef is almost offended and he's upset about the fact that they thought he would even consider um, uh, waiting for his father to die in order to get back at his brothers. So he tells them, no, I have no intention of, of getting revenge on you, even though our father has died. And then the parasha ends with the death of Yosef. Okay, so let's just read these, these last few pieces inside because I think we could fit it in within the next 10 minutes. Okay. Why did uh, Torah emphasize that Joseph was crying again when the brothers were... It's a good question. Albert asks, why does the Torah emphasize the fact that Joseph was crying again when the brothers came to him and appealed to him after the father's death? We do see Joseph cries a lot. So I don't know if it's just a question of why is he crying here. It seems we have, I think, five times that Yosef cries. No, actually six times that Yosef cries. Yosef is like the crier of, of Bereshit. So I think the question is more, what is the meaning of Yosef's cries all of this time? I mean, the obvious Peshat is that he was very upset about the fact that he never succeeded in conveying to his brothers. He never succeeded in conveying to his brothers that he actually loved them. Or that they had nothing to fear. If they thought that he was still going to potentially get back at them, then clearly he didn't do a good job of really convincing them that he was their brother and that he didn't have any bad intentions towards them and things like that. So that's very upsetting to him. But what the deeper meaning of all of his cries is, I don't know. He does cry a lot though. Okay. Kolel Masar. These are the 12 tribes. And these are the blessings that uh, their father gave to them and he blessed them. Each person according to his blessing, he blessed them. What does that mean? Each according to his blessing, he blessed them. Each person, we also saw that Yosef, he would translate or interpret dreams according to its dream. What does it mean, its dream? It means what the dream is going to happen. Meaning he, trans he interpreted it properly. So the Berachot 
he gave them the blessing according to what would actually transpire in the end of days. And we see, obviously, if you look into history, all of Yaakov's blessings or predictions come true in, later in Jewish history. Bless me, uh, bury me with my fathers to the Me'ara that is in the field of Ephron the Chitite. In the, in, the, uh, in the cave that is in the field of the Machpelah that is in Mamre in the land of Kena'an that Abraham bought from Ephron as a portion for burial. They buried there Abraham and Sarah. They buried also Yitzchak and Rivka. And that's where I buried Le'ah. And again, as Johnny said, why is he telling his sons, that's where I buried Le'ah? Because these are the sons, he wants to tell them the importance of taking him to Israel now. Your mother is buried there. I want to be buried there too, to be with your mother. Obviously, he's not talking to Yosef right now. He's talking to the other sons because he already told Yosef to do this. Okay? Um, the, the field of the cave. Here, where is this? The field of the cave that is in there, which was purchased from the children of Chet. Uh, finished commanding his sons and he brought his feet onto the bed and he died and he was taken to his people again gathered onto his people is one of those we said it before but it's one of those hints that in Olam Abba we reunite with the family members who have passed because he was gathered unto his people if a person dies and is being gathered back to his people what people are you referring to Okay, so the, the, on the Peshat level, it could either be that he was gathered, I, I don't know, honestly the only thing I could think of is Olam Abba. So that's a hint to Olam Abba. Um, Perak Nun, the 50th chapter, 50th and final chapter of Bereshit. And Yosef falls on to the face of his father and he cries on him and he kisses him. Again, more Yosef crying, see? Yosef is always crying, more than the brothers. So Yosef commands his servants, the doctors, the Egyptian doctors, to embalm his father. And they embalmed Israel. Is that a bad thing that he embalmed Yaakov? Isn't it like, maybe we, we always have this concern that Yosef has been Egyptianized. Yosef became too Egyptian. And maybe he's taken up the rituals of the Egyptians that they embalm people and they mummify people was that is that uh, so what I think he's doing here and what the Perush here says is that he's not doing this for Egyptian reasons he's doing this because he has to take this body in the dead heat all the way to Israel now so he needs a way to, ma- to, to maintain it there were nobody although it was for pagan reasons there was nobody that was better at maintaining a dead body than the Egyptians so he's using their strategy just to maintain Yaakov's body until he gets to Israel out of respect. Okay? And the 40 days finished because that was the time it took for them to embalm or that, that was the time it took. Uh, it typically were the days of the embalming. And they cried. Mitzrayim cried for him for 70 days. So apparently the father of Yosef became like a leadership figure in, in Mitzrayim. So all of Mitzrayim cried for him for 70 days. And then the days of his crying end, 
And Yosef speaks to the house of Paro saying, If I found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Paro saying, My father made me swore, made me swear, saying, Behold, I'm going to die. Please bury me in the burial that I made for myself in the land of Canaan. Please bury me there. And now I will go up and I will bury my father and I will return. So Yosef, it's interesting because first Yosef waits the full 70 days with his father embalmed before he even takes him up to Eretz Yisrael. So that's kind of, it, it clearly shows that this wasn't an easy thing for Yosef to do. If it was very easy, he probably would have done it day one. But taking Yaakov and burying him not in Egypt, but in Israel, is almost like a slap in the, fa- in the face to Paro. Because he's saying your land is so impure that or, 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 or something of the sort your land is so improper that I, I'm not even going to bury my father here our real home is in the land of Canaan so Yosef taking Yaakov there is not an easy thing for him to do because it's very insulting to Paro the same way bringing his brothers over and telling them and telling Paro that they don't want to live with you in Egypt proper they want to live in Goshen was also an insult to Paro so Yosef is constantly put in difficult positions, but he succeeds because he overcomes a difficulty. Although it did take a while, it did take 70 days until he took his father. But he does succeed in taking his father at the end of the day. Um, another thing he says is, he says, uh, take me to the burial that I dug for myself. He's quoting Yaakov's father and he tells Paro, my father made me swear and told me to take me to the burial that I dug for myself. Now, Yaakov never told Yosef that. At least we don't know if Yaakov ever told Yosef that. But it's a lot more convincing to Paro if, if the person comes to Paro and says, I already dug myself a burial. I want to go use it. I don't want it to go to waste. That's very convincing. The real reason is because this is the heritage. This is the Jewish heritage. We don't want to be in Egypt. We want to be in Israel. But what Yosef tells Paro is that, no, my father already just dug it. He doesn't want the burial to go to waste because he already has it there. Please let me go bury him there. So you see Yosef is trying to, it's a balancing act. It's not easy for him. It takes a long time, but he ends up succeeding. Paro says, go and bury your father as he made you swear. Yosef goes to bury his father and all of the servants of Paro come with him and all of the elders of the land of Egypt. So Paro sends a procession. The house of Yosef, his brothers, and the house of his father, their, uh, their young kids, their sheep, and their cattle, they left in Goshen. He brought with him chariots and horsemen, and it was a very, very heavy camp. They came to Goran Ha'atad, which was on the east bank of the Jordan River, and they did a misped there, they did a, they did a, a eulogy there, it was a great big eulogy and they did a seven day mourning period for their father as well. And then the Canaanite people, they see the burial of Yaakov. And what do the Canaanite people say? The Canaanite people say this was a very great burial. This is a huge death for the land of Egypt. So clearly it was a very big procession that they had. Um, and his sons did everything they commanded. They brought him to the land of Canaan. They buried him there in the Me'ara in of Machpelah that he bought, that Avram bought from Ephron Achiti, the Chitite in the land of Mamre. Yosef returns to Egypt, him and his brothers and everybody uh, after burying his father. And now the brothers turn to Yosef and they see that the father is dead. And what is immediately their concern? That so every burial it confirms that Abraham bought this. 
every burial does confirm that Avraham bought this. Well, I think. Yeah, of course, of course. The, 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 there, are two, there are two very essential things. The first thing is that we saw when Avraham bought the land that he bought it using international money and he bought it in front of everyone. So he's making it very clear. And then every single burial kind of confirms that this is our land, right? Yeah. Um, on top of that, the second thing that this is very, that Meratha Machbela is very important for is because as the Jews go down to Egypt and they maybe begin to assimilate and they start to go into slavery and their lives become more difficult, now the Meratha Machbela becomes a place for them to look forward to. They now have a connection to that land because our for our grandfather was buried there, you know. So if a person is if if a person knows that his whole family is buried in a specific place, it builds an attachment to that place. It wouldn't be surprising to find that person at the end of his life in that specific location. Um, so after the father is dead, the brothers are very scared of Yosef, and they say maybe Yosef is he's going to get back at us now. And they turn to Yosef, and they don't really tell the truth. Um, they go and they claim that their father told them to tell Yosef to forgive them. Now the father never said that and probably Yosef sees through it but we see their anxiety. Again, it, it must have been very difficult for them and this was a long time that they were with Yosef in Egypt. So it's, not, it's, it's very hard to how they could still suspect Yosef of wanting to get back at them. I mean, it, it means, it also, we do know that they were not living in the same exact place. The brothers are living in Goshen, and Yosef was living in the Egyptian court. So they didn't really see him much. So they didn't know to what extent he was on good terms with them. But that's what happens at the end. Yosef cries, as Albert says, Yosef constantly cries. Um, and also, Rabbi, in the original text, when Yosef met his brothers, he mm-hmm. doesn't say, I forgive you. He says, this was Hashem's will that yes. he came here. So, they suspect that he left out forgiveness because he really didn't... That's a very nice point. What's your name? Ellie. Ellie, uh, Ellie points out that when they first... When Yosef first comes out to his brothers and he says, I'm Yosef, he says, Atem chashavtem You thought to do bad to me. Elohim And God decided to do good instead. And he made it as a means to provide provisions for you to this day. Now he doesn't say, You are fully forgiven. And then maybe in the back of their minds, until they hear that they are fully forgiven, they don't have closure. So they still suspect Yosef of potentially wanting to do harm to them. That's a very, that's a very, very nice point. I didn't think of it myself. Thank you. Um, here, it's interesting. He even says it again. So he does, even here, by the way, I'm looking at the text now. He says, He says, Do not fear. In my instead of God, you wanted to do bad, but God made it into good. He says the same thing he said the, the first time. And now he says, do not fear, I will support you and your kids. And he made them feel better and he spoke onto their heart. He never, I don't know if they ever got the closure of hearing the words, I forgive you from his mouth. That's a very, very interesting point. Okay, so the, the final part of um, the parashat speaks about Yosef's descendants. Um, and, and we, we end off the whole Bereshit with the final speech from Yosef. He says, Yosef says to his brothers, I'm going to die and God will remember you and he will take you out of this land eventually. That Avraham that he promised and he will take you to the land that he promised to Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. I read yesterday in the Midrash that um, Yosef was always 
sitting with his brothers for, let's say, for eating, because his dad was present, so he wouldn't mind that he's sitting at the head of the table. But when his dad died, he felt uncomfortable sitting at the same table with the brothers because his dad wasn't there. So they, were, they thought that he doesn't want to sustain them anymore. So when they made that statement, then when he was hearing this, he was crying because he's like, what are you guys talking about? I, I don't understand it exactly, though. I want to see that Midrash inside. Okay. He was sitting with his father so he would eat with them, but once his father died, he couldn't eat with them anymore? No, he was like, because of like, uh, let's say older brother and like Reuben, Shimon, Yehuda, like this, but okay. Yosef was sitting at the head of the table because uh-huh. he was the head person, the royalty. So oh, I didn't want to sit at the head anymore? Right, because he's part Okay, of- I mean, it's, it's hard to say. I, that There's a very easy solution. He could have sat next to them and not at the head of the table. I don't know why he didn't sit with them at all anymore. So th- it's a difficult midrash. Maybe that's against Egyptian protocol. If so we, but we do, yeah, the only thing I was going to say is we know that Yosef was following Egyptian protocol when he first originally sat with them before he unveiled himself and he was sitting separately from them. So maybe he never even ate with them. Maybe they never had so many close. That's why I said the only interpretation for this that makes sense is that they didn't have a lot of close encounter. So the brothers are kind of left with this mystery through the whole 20 plus years that they're dwelling in Goshen because they don't see Yosef. That's what people don't understand. Okay, almost done. And Yosef tells them that please take out my bones from Egypt when, when God takes you to Israel. Sorry, I need to finish Parshat Faikhi. Um, and okay. and the, the significance of that, the significance of that is that Yosef, of whom we thought potentially had become too Egyptianized, is now asking for his bones to be taken to the land of Israel. And what does that tell you about Yosef? Is he an Egyptian or is he a Jew at heart? At the end of the day, he's, an, he's a Jew at heart. And the fact that he wants to be buried in Israel is a good sign. and means that even Yosef, who had all the pressures of becoming an Egyptian, remained more loyal to his father's house than to the Egyptian court. That is the end of Aichi. Uh, tomorrow, we begin, not, uh, maybe tomorrow, if anybody's interested, we will do the Haftarah of Shemot. Um, and then Tuesday, back in New York, we're starting uh, Parashat Shemot. And again, Thursday night, we have a class on Navi. Baruch Adonai Lulam. Amen. Amen. Amen.